0: Imagine what it would be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com. The podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now here's your host for this week, Kep Crab.
1: Welcome everybody to Relational Spirituality. I am your host today, Kep Crab, and I am joined today by one of my favorite people to chat with, Duncan Sprague. We are just fresh off of our first conference that we did with Larger Story called Not Myself by Myself in Jackson, Tennessee, and Dunk was part of the the leadership team on that and the teaching team on that. And So we're going to chat with you today as we continue our series on the seven questions of spiritual theology. And just to recap real quickly, the seven questions, and They really are in a specific order. There's a few questions maybe in there that you could probably change around a little bit in terms of their order, but I think they're in an order for a reason. The first one that we covered in January is, who is God? The second one, what is God up to? And that's where we're finishing up today, and then we're going to be working into, who are we? The fourth question, what's gone wrong? The fifth question, what has God done about what's gone wrong? What's our problem? The, I guess it's the sixth question. How is God's Spirit moving today? And the last question is, how do we join the Spirit's movement? So today we're going to recap a little bit of what is God up to as we finish this next month and as we move into the month of March and we talk about who are we. So, Dunk, that's what we're going to be chatting with these people today about. Thanks for joining me today, bro. My pleasure to be with you again, Kep. It's uh, always a joy. I hope the swords aren't too distracting for people behind you there with the, <laughs> your Game of Thrones or your yeah, Tolkien, yeah. Tolkien stuff, yeah. but, um, but we'll work past that for sure. So as we start to talk about, I talked a, a few weeks ago with, with James, James, my good buddy James, on what is God up to? And we had a great conversation. What would you say just as we're starting to move into who we are and finishing up with what is God up to? Uh, and of course, not finishing up with it, because I think that bleeds into everything yeah, it goes through each question. But what would you say about that question, man? The fact that you mentioned my swords in the
0: background makes me think automatically in the fact that God is a storyteller. Yeah, who is he? What What is he? What is God up to right now? He is in a long process of telling the most epic story ever known to man. Now, that's why I love the Tolkien stuff behind me because it it reminds me, it immerses me in a story. So when I come into my office every day. I'm immersed into the story of The Lord of the Rings, the trilogy there. My dad was a literature professor, so I was surrounded by books growing up. Stories were part of how we did life. And what I tapped in later when I became a Christian was the fact that God himself is the master storyteller. And that is what I think largely God is telling this larger story, which is apropos for uh, this podcast, but also what God has called us to. But it is a story where He is telling His glory about His glory. Oftentimes, when I tell my smaller story, it's about my glory, right. my accomplishment, my this and that. And I remember Larry saying that God does not exist to tell our story, we exist to tell His story. Amen. So, what is God up to? He is telling the most epic story. That we live in the middle of. We're all thrust into this story, and it is a messier story than a more complex story than any of us ever imagined it would be. But it's a good story. So that's instantly when I think of what has got up to. He is revealing his glory to uh, these people that he has created to be like him.
1: yep, and that's his that's part of his story. and then the question too, then that kind of follows that is, what are the opportunities that we have? Because we play a role in that. And yeah. so that really bleeds into now, who are we? yeah, And what are we doing as we're part of this larger story? Yeah, We always refer to our stories as the smaller stories. Yeah. And how do they fit into God's larger story? And how does that work? So as we start to move into now beyond who God is and what God's up to, but now who are we? Mm-hmm. And what would you say as we start to move into that thought of who are we and what is our role? in this. I think who are we that begins with, uh,
0: you have to go back to the very beginning of Genesis. We are created in the image of God. So back to Genesis 1, where it says, and God said, (laughs) you, you have this divine conversation. So it's back to the first question, who is God? He is a divine community in relationship. And then he is creating us. So the beginning of our story in his story is that he creates us in his image, male and female, to display his image to the rest of creation. Mm -hmm. That's the part where I I get mostly excited because I go, okay, so how are we like God in his image? And that, I think, is a huge area where your dad spent so much time talking about not just who is God, but then he's telling a story that we are part of. Right. Right. And, and so who are we? We bear his image. And there's been a lot of debate over years of what that <laughs> image looks like. Yeah, I, I'm curious, where what comes to your mind when you think of being an image bearer?
1: You know, I think before I start to think of that, when you were just saying something, it yeah. it, it made my mind go to our stories. Yeah. And we're maybe the star of our smaller stories sometimes or try to make us that way. Um, and sometimes we're certainly not. But each of those stories that we have Really does play an an instrumental role in shaping us and yeah. who we are, um, and those are the stories that really are important to to start to unpack. As you talk about who are we in respect to image bearers, yeah. is we have the capacity to put Jesus on display now, which really, I, I I don't know if we've tapped into the the reality of that power. Yeah, and and what are the things that I keep? I, I my problem is you got to keep me on track here, Dunk, because. Yeah. I tend to want to slide down in question six and seven too yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. I just love going yeah. to where the spirit is. What's going on with the spirit? Yeah. Um, and what, because how, how does the spirit move through us, which actually gives us the power? Yeah. Um, because we, outside of the spirit, what do we have? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Um, we have the flesh, which isn't really something we should be super proud of. And, but then with the spirit, Again, I love how you always refer in this last weekend when we were in in, in Tennessee, how we talk about how dad really did reflect Jesus in how he related to us. Yes. And we had the opportunity to feel how he poured into us in a way that was only capable of him. That's right. And that's the part that really just gets me is who are we? We're sinners. We're fallen people who do bear the image of God. Yes. And what does that mean? And again, to go into a, a crab type mode, <laughs> which is the mode I live in, yeah. it's a relational image. Yes. It's the but opportunity to, to to relate community. That's exactly right. That's that was where your dad always
0: landed. Was we live in the relational image of God, and what does that look like? So I, I think this was uh, when I so I studied under Larry, did my master's degree in counseling. But one of the most kind of revolutionary thoughts that I had was something that he used to teach all the time, but in his later years, he didn't teach much, but it was always a bedrock of everything that he taught. And it was his, the four circles and the four circles, literally his wedding ring on the back of his wedding ring. He had the
1: engraved four circles because it was so central to him. We had that made to him, made for him. Yeah. I remember I got an Audi (laughs) brand that has the four circles there in the front. We put emotional, rational, volitional. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: So that, I think that starts to play out what your dad meant by the image of God is being relational, where he would say, okay, here's what the secular mindset says. The secular mindset says, what does it mean to be human? They'll say emotions, intellect, will. That's it. But you notice all of them are autonomous. It's all individual. It's me. I have emotions, I have intellect, and I have will. That's the three things that make me distinct as human. Your dad added a fourth circle to what the secular world says is I cannot define myself apart from relationship. So when I ask the question, who am I? So I'm rational. I have I'm a rational person who thinks
1: thinking person. I'm
0: an I'm emotional. I'm an emotional people. I I feel things, I feel. I'm volitional. I choose. I, I have the capacity to make choices based on what I feel and what I think, and so the other. So one of the things that I have often thought of is below the waterline. This is Larry's uh, iceberg illustration. Above the waterline, we can't see what people are feeling and thinking. We can see choices they're making, and we also can see some of the ways they're relating and the ways that they relate below the waterline. No, that's where beliefs and choices are formed, feelings and thinking merged together to come to the surface, like an iceberg, only 10% of the iceberg is exposed, 90% of the person is buried beneath the surface. But what comes to the surface are choices we make, the exterior world, the, the way we dress, the way we choose. That, I think, was this critical piece where Larry would say, to be created in the image of God means we have access to the way he feels. We have access, even this is we actually have the mind of Christ now. That's the beginning of Romans. Yes. That we can actually think God thoughts. Who's who is thought the thoughts of God? We actually have the mind of Christ as part of what comes with the divine relating to God in the divine nature uh, that the Second Peter talks about. And then thinking, feeling, and then making choices that are contrary to the way the world, the self-serving nature in me, in my flesh we'll always make choices for my benefit. But there is this radical shift in choices because of the divine nature that that moves outward, where? Towards others. And that's this relational component of, we are relational creatures that put on display the Trinitarian nature of God. That's a, a large theological statement, but really it means we get the opportunity to relate the way the Trinity relates. And that's, that's the personal, the of God. that's, yeah. the,
1: personal. <laughs> that's yes. the relationship, personal, yeah. personal, volitional, emotional, that's, but, yeah. the, but personal, we relate. Let me yeah. ask a question. As I just sit here and think about some of this, and I love, I love thinking about the stuff that dad's produced and stuff, but he was really sold on these seven questions. Yeah. The seven questions of spiritual theology. He even to the point at one point said, if your church or your group that you're in are, are not dealing with one or all of these questions you're probably not doing anything that has really e- e- eternal value. Yeah. Why do you think he was so caught up in these, these questions? Because you saw the transition in him in many different ways. And yeah. and he, I don't know if pivot is ever the right word, but some of the changes that he made in terms of his career. And, yeah. and you, were, you were part of a large piece of that as you saw him go from the book connecting into really more of the spiritual formational and spiritual directional mindset as opposed to a professional counseling mindset. But he really then, at, at one point, and I don't know how long ago it was, but it was probably, help me here, 15 years, yeah, maybe 20, 50, 50, yeah. 15, that he really started to think of the seven questions of spiritual theology. Yeah, yeah. He really started to shape how he thought about things yeah. and how he approached people. Why do you think that was so important to him? I think he was frustrated all the time <laughs> uh, with
0: the answers that we think we have. So oftentimes, Christianity, we we are answering questions that are— we fail to see the complexity of the questions, and one of the things your dad would say is, I'll read my Bible until it provokes a question. And sometimes it's a chapter, sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's a verse. And I think that's the part that I'm most aware of, is your dad said, okay, God, there are a lot of questions that you chose not to answer right now. In fact, there's so many of them. What questions did you choose to answer? Yes, that was the crux of the seven questions. And these were the ones he said, which one did you answer? You've answered who you are. You've answered what you're up to. You've answered who we are, what, how we're created. Then you you get into the, what went wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that's the part where he started saying, I am no longer going to spend all my time on secondary issues. He he loved the first and second things quote from C.S. Lewis. Yes. Where Lewis said, put first things first, and everything else takes its rightful place. You put second things first, and you end up losing ev- everything, first, first and second things. And so he said, and that really comes out of the, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, and all these th- other things are secondary things of food, clothing, what we call Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He would call those secondary things but the glory of God, his kingdom, is the first priority. So that's where the seven questions really came crystal clear into focus with him, where he finally said, I don't want to spend my time answering any other questions than the ones that God has chosen to answer.
1: Yeah, and that's such a crucial point, because we ask so many questions that we're like, God, why didn't you write a book on this? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but yet, if you really start to dive into the word in the, in, in the way that certainly dad did, he did. Yeah, because these questions really do apply to all aspects of our lives. Yes, especially how do we relate with people as we're relating to God and to ourselves. Yeah, um,
0: in all of that, you know. But in all seven of these, they have theological terms that go with each one of them. What went wrong? Hamartiology. You go hamarti what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's the difficulty. I think your dad finally, at some point, became concerned that we had overcomplicated the the question by the answer we gave. What went wrong? The answer is homardiology, the problem with sin. And so that's going to be your next question you tackle. But one of the things that I I appreciate about your dad is he went back to, what's the core question that provokes me to continue to ask it right now, rather than assuming I have an answer, I can check that off. Um, I've got my theological boxes checked. So each one of his questions have these whole categories that I went through Bible college and spent whole semesters tackling each one of these theological concepts. But the difficulties I come out with, I I oftentimes think I went into Bible college with a certain level of misunderstanding to go get some questions answered. then when I graduated, I had a few answers, but it raised more questions. And so then I went on to another degree, a, a higher level. And so I proudly sit here with you with a higher level of misunderstanding than most people. That's where it humbles me. Because you really
1: dove into it. You you are really confused.
0: Yes. And (laughs) I don't know of a man that tackled the questions. I know a lot of men who tackle these questions. They're all out there. But what your dad was uniquely gifted with was, how do I bring it into a language that will actually communicate? Because... If our core essential nature is relational, what are the barriers to relationship? Well, one of those is pride. My yeah. education was a huge pride where I like talking with all my highfalutin categories to make it look like I know something that others don't. What your dad would oftentimes do is let me ask the hard question that will launch me into the, the whole realm that that professionals are spending all their time uh, yeah, I mean, your dad would read those, but then he would try to bring it back to
1: where he could dialogue in any conversation. He really did want to try to bring some of that simplicity to it. But yet, as we were really striving to reach for the yeah. top shelf, that's right. I mean, one of dad's biggest terms or one biggest, I don't know if it's the right word, but a term that he used a lot was good enough Christianity. Yeah. And that's where you're really reaching for the bottom shelf. And yeah. dad said, no, we don't want the dog food on the bottom shelf. We want the filet mignon. On That's the top right. shelf. And, right. I want you to, and getting to that top shelf is messy. Yeah. It's mysterious. It's yes. confusing. It's yes. painful. That's um, right. You know, as you start to look at life for, for what it really is. And this has been some of the things that we've talked about in our group is this world is not set up to work. Yeah. And so then when you ask the question of who are we, well, we're people that are sitting in the middle of a world that we're yeah. trying to make work and it doesn't do it. That's right. No matter what, I, I think yeah. of just little organizations that have tensions. You yeah. know, I, I, I can't imagine how the big organizations with hundreds of people working in them that they can't even competently move around because everyone can't stand each other or That's the right. little clicks or all, all the yeah. relational struggles and the challenges that we go through help define who we are at some level. And that really then moves into the question that we'll be working with in April. Yeah. Which is the hermardiology question. Yeah. What has gone wrong? Yeah. yeah. So before
0: you can get to what went wrong, you have to go back a step and go, okay, God, what was your original image supposed to look like? And so this is where I love the progress. I'm going to draw this out for you so you can see it. You have the father. I'm going to write and talk at the same time. You have this picture of the father, and then you have this picture of the son. And all this is this is question number one, father and son. And then in between, you have the spirit of love. And this is what I, that's, you have, I'm sorry, I can't do, I'm such a man.
1: I I love our sophisticated graphics here. With
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this is the image of God. You have a a father who is radically centered, The, the love that's in the father moves towards the son, but there is a love between them that is the spirit of God. So much, a love that's so palpable that it's actually a person itself. And that is the image of God, Trinity, a community in complete a radical other-centeredness that where one is pouring into the other with the Spirit. So when he created us, what does he create? He creates a man. Okay, there you go. It looks similar. Yep. He creates a, a woman. And again, we're creating the image, male and female, with the image of a Spirit. That connects us. Mm-hmm. There's the image of God that a man and a woman will be created with the same spirit of love connecting them together. And that is the image of God, where they're full emotions, they're full thinking, they're full when Jesus or when uh, Adam sees Eve, he says, "Whoa, I have now seen flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. He is caught up in wonder over, I now have a companion." Someone who is like me that I can pour myself into. And then what you'll get into next time with your next question is what went wrong. It, it came with a single statement Are you sure? <laughs> it, right. Are you sure that God is good? And that's all it took w- to get us off track. And all of a sudden, that where we are radically other centered, like the nature of the Trinity, then all of a sudden, man and woman become self-aware and uh, do this again my really fancy graphics <laughs> we become yeah in yourself. and all of a sudden on ourselves the spirit is no longer connecting us we live your dad used to use the phrase that man and woman when, when they get married it's like a tick on a dog relationship the problem is that there are two ticks and no dog. Right. Yeah. It, because we go into a relationship to suck the life out of it now. Give me. Yeah. Augustine said, it's not that we stopped loving. We oftentimes think the fall was when we started hating. But he says it, it's not that we stopped loving, it's that we started loving ourselves. Yeah. As our first love. Yeah. Not loving the other that's with us, not loving God. And that's where the rest of these questions start to fall in line with what is what went wrong? Okay, what's God done for that? What's God's ultimate goal? His ultimate goal is the exact same thing, the image of God, where you have a a bride and a groom connected by the spirit of love. It's the same image from the very beginning of Genesis, a man and a woman created to display the image of God, and then what do we have for eternity? We often make a big deal about there's no more there's no more marriage in heaven. Why? Because there's one wedding. When we gather together, there's a wedding feast where the groom, Jesus, and the bride come together with the Spirit of Christ, that the Spirit of God, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uniting them in perfect union for all of eternity. It's the same story that has this messy middle, I loved your grandpa used to say this: the the Bible is a love story that begins with a divorce.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah, there is, this, Jesus. yeah, there is this messy middle now that you and I live in. So that you're going to be tackling on the next question is what went wrong, what what was right. We give a hint of in the very first, the beginning of our Bibles, the first couple chapters, and the very last chapter. Everything else in the middle. <laughs>
1: Is Is a mess. It's it. I just love chatting with you, Dunk. These are always such fun conversations, man. And so as I think about the question, who are, we're we're sinners who are in need of a savior. Yes. Need of the cross and need of the blood. Yeah. And to understand that. And then the opportunity that we have because of that. Yeah. It's the spirit in us. And that moves us into the, the next question is what has gone wrong? Yeah. Because obviously something's gone wrong. This world is not set up to work anymore. Yeah rust and moths and age and everything else that's that that comes into what we have and it's so easy to set your sights on this world yeah Um, and how do you keep your eyes off of this and 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 really put your eyes on that next world because this is really again to use a a c.s lewis quote this these are the shadowlands yes but
0: i i love oftentimes when i've taught the four circles of what and then what goes wrong i've had i've stood up in front of a crowd and i've had four eggs and I'll put a, an E on one for emotional, R for rational, a V for volitional, and a P for personal. We're relational. And I'll take all those eggs and I go, these are the these are who we are. And then I'll do the old English nursery rhyme. Yeah. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty <laughs> had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together. In other words, all the strength of men, the king's horses and all the king's men the the wisdom of humanity they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again so I'll take them and I'll have a bowl and I'll drop them in and I'll uh, and they'll just break and that's the part that that Larry tackled so well is he says the way we feel is always backwards the way we think is always about me first the ways that we choose is always is what's benefits me And he would say oftentimes, what comes naturally to me, my nature, the broken nature of the flesh, is that I live for my own well-being at any cost to you. I don't care how much this costs you, as long as I'm taken care of, that's it. But he said the radical nature of God was, I live in God's nature, this radical other centeredness of God is, I live for your well-being at any expense to me. Yeah. To me, and that's the, what a radical shift in the ways that I think, I feel, I the opportunities I look for, and the ways that I look for a connection to relate. And that so, can only happen supernaturally. That's right. Because how does the Trinity relate supernaturally? They're relationally intimate, they're radically other-centered, and they're passionately self-giving all the time. That's the way he created us to live. That's the image of God in us. But what ended up happening when the fall came, there was this sense of we became relationally disconnected. Yep. And we became radically self-centered, self-obsessed. It, it, your dad used the phrase all, all the time is instead of being God-obsessed, we became self-obsessed.
1: And, 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 and you don't have to learn self-obsessed. Yes. That, we're we're no. born... We're that's born right. into self obsession. we and and then it seems that society and culture nowadays is pouring on that self esteem and, and self reliance and self all about uh, you awareness and that's oh yeah and and it's you're reinforcing things that we don't really need to have reinforced because these yeah. are things that we're pretty strong at it's how do you love others with that same energy and that can only happen through the power of the spirit that's right and that's what's so exciting and and we're just starting to tap into that in a way that is just. All glory to God. I'm just so excited for what's going on. I think that the Spirit's up to something. And He's doing something now in in me, in you, the group that you and I get a chance to be a part of. I think there's something happening in that because when two or more gather, when you come together in community with the attitude of allowing the Spirit to do His thing, something happens. That's right. And that's our role. And that's who we are. And it happens in the context of us sharing
0: our stories together. So yes, if somebody were to sit on Zoom with us, and watch the the way we interact with each other they'll go they're just talking about their lives right and, and all of a sudden the the spirit of god alive in one person gets to, it gets poured into another as they're struggling through what whether it's adult children or cancer or you name the issue and all okay. of a sudden we're so for you yes. we're we'll do anything on your behalf for you to see the glory of God in the middle, in the midst of the complexity of life and all that's going wrong,
1: believing in hope that the story is not off track. <laughs> I love that. And that's the purpose of community. Yeah. How, how do you look bad in the presence of love mm. as you move through this narrow road, this difficult journey, which yeah. is this, this life together? Yeah. Because that's what we were made to be. If the ultimate ontology comes down to three persons, yeah. we're made for relationship. That's right. And so that's the biggest piece. So if you ask who we are. Yeah. Those are things I think we really touched on a lot of that. Uh, obviously, we're sinners. We're yeah. made for community. We're made for relationship. Yeah. Um, and we have the opportunity to put Jesus on display by how we relate to others now because yeah. of what the Spirit's done in our lives.
0: Yeah, and the only thing I would say is that we are sinners, but it is not our deepest nature now no the new covenant has changed something and this is the i think where it becomes so critical for us to think who are we now and this is where the seven questions become because there's a it it, it preaches us into hell <laughs> what went wrong we chose to go away from god's way and we all of a sudden became self-obsessed in a way that god could no longer as holy relate to us so his commitment know. to make us holy to be like him again, his commitment, he is not done with the story. And that's the piece where he wanted to put his love on display in a way that he is the only hero of the story. None of us get to save ourselves in this. We all are drowning in our own self-obsession, yeah. our own addictions. That's your your dad's last book, Waiting for Heaven, was the one addiction that every addiction is tied back to is my addiction to me. Me, I will do yeah. anything to get rid of the pain and the discomfort. Whether it's addiction to a Bible, Bible, I guess some people do religious, sure. but but sex and alcohol and drugs and all addictions God have money. Addiction.
1: Yeah,
0: my my addiction to me that came with the fall, but that's not the final story. Mm-hmm. The final story is God has put His nature in us. Yes, well, we get Second Corinthians five seventeen. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. So something is brand new in us, alive. that wasn't alive. That's Colossians um, 2, where it says, in your former ways, you were dead to God in your trespasses and sins, but God came alive and made you alive. How did he make us alive? By his spirit entering in and communing with us. That's the part where I, I go, there's a part of us right now our deepest identity Christian do you know who you are your deepest identity is no longer as a sinner so don't live in the guilt shame and fear live in the faith hope and love of you're a brand new creation that now has the power of the spirit of god living inside of you to not not just be a an overcomer but to actually live as a child with full inheritance rights of your parents your mom and your dad who is birthed you adopted you and birthed you into this new kingdom so that's i just want to make that statement yes we are sinners but we but now we are saints who sin our identity no longer so as believers we can still live in the flesh that's not But, but now it's not it's no longer who we are we have a new identity a new way of thinking a new way of feeling a new way of of relating, that's the heart of what your dad got was getting at. Is the new covenant has made something possible by the Spirit of Christ that was not possible without the Spirit of God alive in us.
1: I love it. I love yeah, it. I don't know if I could have summed that up any better, Duncan. Yeah. It, was just, it was just, it's just, it's really fun getting a chance to chat through this kind of stuff with you. So, thanks for joining us today, everyone. Next week we'll be continuing the conversation on the seven questions of spiritual theology. As we move through the seven questions, we encourage you to join us every Tuesday. So have a great week, and we'll see you soon. If you like what you heard today, hit the
0: like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.